African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, uh, our English desk here at Channel Africa has been looking at this story, analyzing it, and also the latest updates in terms of what's happening in light of uh, uh, this latest corruption issue that seems to is making headlines this morning in South Africa. The country's health minister, Zuelin Kiza, had looked to distancing himself from the growing scandal, but has come under increasing pressure to step down. President Cyril Maposa made the announcement on his special leave on on uh, a Tuesday, Nkiza is implicated in the issuing of a contract to communications company Digital Vibes with 150 million uh, South African rands. The minister was also preparing himself to appear before the uh, African National Congress's Integrity Committee. Uh, the health minister was uh, speaking in Kimberley in the Northern Cape where he was uh, speaking around the fact that uh, he was in talks with uh, uh, the president of stepping down. But uh, we're also going to look at the ongoing corruption scandals during COVID-19 because it seems like it is a headache for the Special Investigating Unit. Uh, we have the Special Investigation Unit spokesperson, Keza Khanyaho, joining us for this discussion today. We also have Mark Haywood, editor at Maverick Citizen and a social justice activist. Last but not least, we have the Executive Director of Corruption Watch, uh, David, Lu- David Lewis. Well, let's start with you, Keza. Thank you for giving us your time. You are busy um, for the last year or so. It's been uh, something that has been probably a central issue uh, for the work of the Special Investigation Unit. Are you guys coping with uh, all these COVID-19 cases because they seem to be occupying so much of your time? Uh, Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Yeah, I'm not sure about coping, but we are doing the best with the resources that we have. Yeah, obviously, uh, sometimes people even think that we are only dealing with COVID-19 cases, mm-hmm. when we still have many other cases that we are dealing with. You know, we still do investigation at ESCOM, we're doing investigation at SABC, mm-hmm. we're doing investigation at PRASA, and then many other denials of this world. But we have no option but to survive with whatever resources that we are having and we are stretching them as much as we can but at the same time we are also appointing new investigators so that we are able to then uh, have more capacity to deal with the cases that are coming in obviously the ones that relates to uh, ppes uh, the numbers were just so so big Mm. we did not expect this kind of numbers that we are dealing with Let's look at the latest case, which is one that is prominent because of the function of the health minister, especially after the COVID-19 priorities. I mean, we know that the Special Investigation Unit has confirmed that a case against uh, former associates of Health Minister Dr. Zuelin Kiese had been opened at the Norwood Police Station in Johannesburg. The charges of fraud and embezzlement against Tahira Mate and Nadira Mita were laid in May uh, by the director of the communications company Digital Vibes, Radha Hariram. Tell us a little bit about this case and how significant it is to the work that you are doing uh, within the SIU. 
Yes, uh, it, it must be made very clear that we did not open the case. But mm. Sometimes I got a, a wind of some of the publications saying that we opened the case. Mm. We didn't. We were made aware of this case being opened, and which is a corruption and fraud case against uh, the, the owner against uh, those two who are supposed to be working for her. Therefore, it is of interest to us because when we look at it, we need to get all those documentation, the affidavits that are there, because they will help us in the investigation that we do so that we see where the, 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 this money went and what it was used for and, and so on and so on. Therefore, we are uh, interested parties in this particular case, even though it has got nothing to do with us. It is with the police and they are the ones that are dealing with it, but it is of interest to us. Another case that the SIU has spoken about this week is the one that is around the preservation order to freeze bank accounts and assets of more than seven companies that were contracted to sanitize and disinfect uh, schools in Gauteng. Tell us about that case as well. Yes, you will remember that sometime early this year there was this outcry around the use of 431 million rand by the Department of Education in Gauteng. Mm and uh, for dis- disinfecting the schools. We then went and started the investigation under Proclamation R23 of 2020, and in the process of doing so, we are still investigating as I speak. But we started seeing some of the trends. For example, that the, the contract that was entered into with all the service providers were irregular because they did not follow the processes as they were supposed to do. The department went and then got an AAA requested for, for, for deviation from the, uh, the Treasury. Mm. Treasury gave them the deviation, but it was specified in the deviation that the companies that needs to be appointed are supposed to be those companies that are registered, but also they must be in the CSD. But they just ignored that and went ahead and then dealt with this matter and then gave this contract to people that they wanted to give to. And we found also that this contract were given through just as a WhatsApp. You just send the WhatsApp of your company and you are given the contract. The other thing that we found it was that it was not value for money. Because, for an example, they did not charge the company, the, the companies did not charge per square meterage as it's supposed to be done. They just said, if it's a primary school, 250,000 rand to 270,000. If it is a high school, 270 to 290, they just paid. Whether the school has got one class or 20 classes, it doesn't matter. Because mm. of all of that, mm. we then went, we saw a movement of money in the accounts of, with the help of the Financial Intelligence Center. In the accounts of these people, they're starting to move money around and so on. And then we went to the special tribunal in May. And then we got a preservation order for about 14 companies to the value of 40.7 million, which was done mm-hmm. and give granted to us. And then while we were continuing to investigate, we saw others, this uh, the seven that you're talking about, which also were starting to do the same. We then went and got a preservation order of 22.4 million, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And, and you, you will... What was also interesting with this one is the fact that all the seven companies, six of them are owned by the husband or boyfriend, and then the one is by wow. the girlfriend or wow. the wife. Wow. All of them basically are, are, are owned by two people who are partners. 
Wow. Therefore, for me, it was one of those that was startling mm-hmm. because when we went to serve them, we could see they were they they just together these people they all received that 22 million alone mm. but this is the current one that we got well mark maybe this is a good time to bring you into this conversation because uh, as daily maverick uh, as a publication and an online uh, service i mean media service you guys have been doing investigation and you've brought to light this to this reputation of uh, this issue revealing this 430 million rands spent on uh, this um, contract tell us a little bit more about um, this particular story i know it's something that the Daily Maverick has been um, looking at and actually revealed. Um, tell us a little bit more. Good, good morning, Benjamin, and good morning to your listeners. Yes, um, you know, in the middle of last year, the Gauteng uh, government started to publish uh, monthly expenditure disclosure reports related to COVID-19, mainly because of the outcry over the PPE corruption around uh, the Department of Health. Mm. So those reports were very, very useful uh, because each month they listed every single item of expenditure by every single government department. And I began to study those reports. And it was through studying those reports that I stumbled upon and just basically added up the numbers. Uh, for sanitizing schools by the Department of Basic Education and then was astounded to find that it uh, totaled 431 million rand, as Kaiser uh, has, has indicated. But, you know, what was, what was problematic uh, about this as well was that they were sanitizing schools despite the fact that by then there was already advice from the Health Department and the World Health Organization that it was not necessary to sanitize schools, particularly if after they had been uh, left empty for, mm. a, for a long period of time. So, you know, really the whole thing was a, a scam and it is linked to a corruption scam that unfortunately isn't just limited to uh, sanitizing schools. I'm sure Kaiser will be aware because it's something else that I, I uh, uncovered that, uh, you know, the Department of Infrastructure Development in Gauteng spent 117 million rand on six companies, uh, so-called decontaminating buildings. And, and when I looked into those six companies, it seems again that several of them were set up literally months before, but they're not on the central supplier database of, of Gauteng province. So the controls were very, very lax. But I, but I have to say that in this instance, I think what we can be grateful for is, and, and, and what we can see the benefits of is that when government is, is compelled by public pressure to publish live reports on expenditure, it makes it possible for journalists to follow the money and to ask questions mm. that then assist bodies like the SIU to conduct their investigations. The only other thing I would say, though, uh, uh, Benjamin, on this, sadly, is that, you know, since January, with no reason given, the Gauteng Health Department, uh, Gauteng government has stopped publishing these reports. I think they've stopped publishing the reports because, because I've been analyzing them. Mm. Uh, and the last, time, last report I analyzed, I, I noticed that their calculations 
were wrong by 250 million rand, something wow. that they, wow. they haven't denied. Yeah. Wow. So I think we have to ask questions. Why have those reports stopped? And those reports need to start again. And what we've been talking about is just about Gauteng and mm-hmm. the National Department. But there are eight other provinces where I'm fairly certain that similar corruption and abuse of public funds has been been taking place. So if you're worried that SIU has a lot of work on its plate, uh, it's mm. got a lot more it needs to do as well. Well, it's very worrying in terms of that. But sticking with you, Mark, before we move on to David, yeah. is that clearly we've seen a, a kind of a different form of, of, of corruption, which is linked to this COVID-19 crisis that we're in. Corruption is not different whether it is public or or private, but definitely there is an increase in terms of the trajectory of uh, uh, corruption scandals just because of the the manner in which COVID-19 is being funded. Yes. I mean, it's because such very, very large amounts of money were suddenly made available for good reason to deal with a public health crisis. And I guess what people didn't expect was that that there would be such a lack of public morality in certain officials and departments that people would have no hesitation about stealing this money and and about the abuse of of this money. Um, You know, I think we've all learned lessons from it. Uh, uh, you know, you started out by talking about the digital vibes story, but mm. you know that that 150 million rand was really, again, a complete waste. Not just because it was stolen, but also because there were public health experts, communications experts, who were offering to government those services for next to nothing, just mm. that because they wanted to work in the public interest. People who understand about health communication who've been involved in health communication around epidemics like HIV in the past. And Mm -hmm. they were spurned for a contract that was given to a company that has no knowledge at all uh, about how to communicate around uh, around health. So it does point to the fact that this this rot is very, very deep. If I can just say one last thing, though, Benjamin, and Mm -hmm. perhaps uh, uh, Kaiser can comment on this later, but it does worry me about the capacity of, yeah, of the yeah, SIU yeah. and the NPA to actually see all of these investigations uh, through because there is so much. And I've been, I think it's amazing the work, the speed, the, the professionalism with which the SIU has, has responded can only be commended. But, you know, as a journalist, I'm also aware of areas where there haven't been investigations. I mean, before I, I reported on the, the sanitizing of schools, the first thing I started looking at was contracts given to build hospitals, new hospitals in, in this province, in the mm-hmm. Haoteng, using what's called alternative building technology. The Auditor General has already found that those contracts were irregular and unprocedural. Uh, and these are involving hundreds of millions of rands. Not one of those hospitals is fully finished yet. They were allegedly being built in time for the first wave. Hmm. We're now in the third wave, and they're still not finished. But I haven't yet seen heads roll uh, in relation to those, the, the, those contracts. So it just worries me 
And, and you know, I, I think it's so important that all of us are saying more resources need to be given to the NPA, to the SIU, to the Hawks, to these various statutory bodies to make sure that they can recover as much money as possible, but also that there is accountability and that this doesn't become an impunity again. Mm. Let's bring in David. Um, just listening to Mark and Kayser there, David, you just feel the scale of the problem. It's so, so big. It's as big as um, the this cliche that we like using that corruption is a pandemic just by itself in in this country. Um, What are the trends that you've seen during this COVID-19 pandemic in light of corruption? I'm sure it's no different to what Mark and Kaiser have alluded to. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've encountered uh, corruption on on a very wide scale in every anti-COVID or COVID-related program of government. And so, you know, there's been corruption in the payment of the of the of the grants for uh, employees who who lost their work during the the uh, COVID crisis or whose wages were subvented by special uh, um, funds made available by the state, and there was corruption there even corruption in the handing out of food parcels where local politicians have been found to have uh, appropriated the food parcels themselves, either for their chosen constituents or indeed for themselves. And then there is the procurement corruption on a very wide scale in in, uh, personal protective equipment. And Mm. and I think you know, it's it's it, it was not unexpected. I mean, in a sense, when emergency provisions are put in place, what that means is that the, some of the normal safeguards around procurement are relaxed. We've had a big problem in procurement corruption anyway, even with the formal rules in place. But mm. once certain of the formal rules are relaxed, then it becomes, you know, open season on these kind of contracts. And, you know, as Mark has said, or Kaiser said, the the public were outraged by this. And, you know, although we shared the outrage of the of the public, we didn't share quite the surprise. I mean, if anybody had thought about the money that was stolen from emerging farmers in the Estina dairy scandal or the money that was stolen from pensioners and very poor people during the VBS scandal, they'll not be... Uh, so surprised to find that money gets stolen from nurses and health workers and uh, and starving mm, mm. citizens and mm. and the like during the COVID crisis. There is no limit to what uh, corrupt people will do, and they're not going to feel any more sympathetic towards uh, towards health workers than they did towards. Uh, um, emerging farmers in mm-hmm. the free state or pensioners in Limpopo. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I suppose one of the positive things that has happened is it does seem to have woken people up to the sort of breadth of corruption, uh, the willingness of corrupt people to prey on the most vulnerable and poorest, and what a problem procurement is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a sense, I hope that we activists and organizations like uh, the the SIU are able to take advantage of this uh, outrage 
and uh, and you know use it as a lesson and use it as a pointer to what's happening mm. in procurement uh, and uh, you know the expenditure of public resources uh, generally because it is a general a general phenomenon mm. Mm. Um, there's, there's no doubt about it and, mm. and you know this and and you know the cherry on the top is this digital vibes scandal as, as mark says you know about the scandal to me the, the really big scandal is how this company got appointed in the first place i mean it had just it, it's been in business for a very short time it has no track record in communications whatsoever any form of communications never mind health communication hmm. and it's given a 150 million rand contract i mean that rings bells for me more loudly than anything else Absolutely. and then you know on top of it there's the second hand bucky to the minister's to the minister's <laughs> son and mm, you know what yeah, have you yeah absolutely but, but the big scandal is that it even qualified that it even dared apply for a mm, contract mm, like absolutely in the, in the in the first place you know so this is a is a act of corruption that must have been conceived very far back actually well, let's take a quick break. Um, I need to take one now, David, and I'll come back to that because there are still questions. And I think the central one is the issue around resources uh, because we're dealing with a large scale of corruption, which seems to be entrenched in the mechanisms of procurement in South Africa's government system. So how do we actually deal with the, the large scale of the corruption versus when you hear uh, the SIU saying, hey, we need more resources? I mean, um, there was an amount of 300 million South African rands that was thrown out that they need to actually deal with the scale of corruption that we're starting to see, just specifically with COVID-19. But let's take a quick break and, and we'll be back. Have you ever asked yourself, what on earth am I here for? When God placed his image in us, he placed a sense of eternity within us. What is my purpose in life? I was made for greatness. I just don't know what it is yet, but I was made for greatness. Life by Design explores the journey of people from around the continent who live a life of purpose. They share their experience on how they discovered what they were meant to do. Join me, Amanda Machaga, every Monday at 8.05 Central African Time for your weekly dose of Monday motivation only on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Life by Design. Be the update of your life. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with a way for the world not to pass. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Channel Africa, the African perspective. Indeed, you are listening to Channel Africa. We're on Open View and also on DSTV and online. Don't forget our website is www.channelafrica.co.za. DSTV on Channel 802. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue, where we are looking at the ongoing, ongoing, ongoing corruption scandals during COVID-19 in South Africa. Uh, we helped by Keiza Kanyaho, who is the Special Investigation Unit spokesperson. Mark Haywood is also joining us, who's been 
looking at various investigations, looking at COVID-19 corruption. He's an editor at Maverick uh, Citizen and has been a long-going social justice activist here in South Africa. Helping us as well is David Lewis, Executive Director of Corruption Watch. Let me come back to you, Keza, because we have kind of entrenched this idea of how big this problem is when it comes to corruption in in South Africa. But now, the scale of it, does it supersede the resources that organizations or agents such as yours have? No, definitely it it does, even though, like I said earlier, we we have to, to then stretch whatever we have. And we've got people who are willing and are able to, to then multitask and be able to deal with different kinds of investigations at the same time. And therefore, that is what we are doing. But also, like I said earlier, we, we are also, we've started a campaign where we are making sure that the appointments are done for investigators, forensic investigators. And, and that process is also going very well so that we increase our capacity and be able to then the kind of work that you do. Unfortunately, uh, in life, you, you find a situation where you are doing something that people perceive to be good. Instead of saying, no, you've done it, you're okay. What you're going to get is more people because of the confidence they have in you, bringing more of these cases to you. I get so many of them on my WhatsApp page hmm. and, and everywhere else. People phone and say, we have wow. corruption here. What must we do? Wow. Because now people see that something is done about corruption. I mean, especially someone who's working in this particular unit case, I mean, what kind of work needs to be assisted, especially when you look at other agents such as the NPA and the, the Hawks? How do we synergize these different agencies? I know they have similar functions, but uh, different focuses uh, in terms of legal implementations. What kind of infrastructural and financial help do they need to actually get prosecutions? Because that's another area that's uh, been criticized. Yes, unfortunately, I can't talk on behalf of the NPA and the Hawks. Sure. What I can say is that we, have, as government, we have put together what we call the ACTT, Anti-Corruption Task Team, where all of these agencies sit together, map up the way forward, and assist each other in the way that we are supposed to do. But we even went further. As a subcommittee of the ACTT, we have got the Fusion Center, where, which is meant to coordinate, because we, we want to avoid a situation of duplicating issues. For example, when a person has got a, something that uh, they are worried about, then they report it to the Hawks and report it to the public protector and report it to to us and report it to the police. Mm. And then all of these institutions now go and investigate the same thing. Mm. When, But when we get to the fusion center, we're able to see who is doing what. And then if somebody is doing something that we are doing, then we decide we are not doing it, let them do it. And we are able to then not uh, uh, misuse resources on one case. But also, we went further to say, but we cannot do this thing alone. We have got to, to then have civil society as part of what we do. And, and then we now have started the, uh, the uh, forums, like the Health Sector Anti-Corruption Forum, mm. which is made up of uh, the institutions that, that are there, the industries that are involved in the health sector, plus the uh, organizations like Corruption Watch, 
mm. uh, the, the, the other civil society organizations, so that we are able to sit together, put our minds together, mm. and see how we can assist each other to tackle this. We have recently uh, uh, launched the Local Government Anti-Corruption Forum and the Infrastructure Built Anti-Corruption Forum, which are serving the same purpose as that health sector anti-corruption forum. Mm. David, your thoughts of this idea of the synergized approach that Kaiser is, is talking about, how essential is that? Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, I have to say that the, the SIU are doing an incredible job. I mean, they've really emerged as the leading anti-corruption uh, public organization in the, in the, in the country. And, and they've pioneered these forums uh, where, you know, as Kaiser said, civil society, the private sector, the public sector, the regulators come together and they really are sort of clearing mechanisms for reported uh, uh, cor- corruption cases. And for, you know, us, it's given us a, a, f- a series of forums in which we get, in, in which we're, to which we're able to refer our reports and check up on what is being done with them. Mm. And it's very much in line with, you know, how the South African democratic transition began, where, where social compacting was at the centre of the South African model for governance. And you know, over the years, and then particularly during the Zuma years, that receded, and government became an ordinary government that ruled by through the executive, and frankly, didn't do nearly as much consulting as it should. And, you know, President Ramaphosa, I have to say, has really helped put social compacting back on the agenda. It's clearly coming out of the union movement, as he did, who were the really pioneers of social compacting. It very much is his preferred mode of governance. Mm. And so I think, you know, I don't know whether this was a factor, but the SIU have taken up the challenge of social compacting and uh, and and all power to them for doing so. You know, I have to say that that if I were government, I'd give SIU the 300 million rand that they're asking for because they're going to be able to, if things continue in the way that they are are going, they'll be claiming back much more money than 300 million mm-hmm. rand. Mm-hmm. I, I can assure you, mm-hmm. I can assure you of that. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and and I like the way that they're doing it. I like mm. their openness to civil society organisations, uh, to you know the the private sector as well. You know, are mm. important players mm. In, mm. in this uh, in this whole thing. And um, sure, and it's been a very good way of of tackling a very 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 difficult problem. Let me come to you, Mark, and maybe ask a different question from the one that I've posed to to David and Keynesia in terms of how do we respond to this large-scale corruption? Because when you look at the list of some of these politicians that have been implicated to corruption, Houting Health MEC, Dr. Bandile Masuku, um, there's new... uh, claims that are saying that the premier of Gauteng, um, David Makura, is involved. Uh, there's now the health minister, Dr. Zulim Kiza. There was that issue of the, the six scooters that were fitted on the side with a bed overhead gazebo uh, that was a project headed by the Eastern Cape Health MEC, Cindy Swagomba. So there's so many of these cases, but it seems that when it comes to prosecution, there's a bit of a, a halt, and there is work when it comes to investigation. Uh, 
I know that this contract with 10 million rands of this Eastern Cape scooter issue has been set aside. But one question is, what happens then to the MEC Gomba? Because they're still implicated to have been part of something that would have cost us so much money. Yeah, and I guess that's the the end of the equation that we've been talking about. Um, you know, the SIU is playing a good role together with the NPA and the Hawks in investigating. Special Tribunal is making it possible to freeze uh, uh, and preserve monies uh, and so prevent them from being lost uh, to the state and, and their use in delivering social services. But but what we all agree we're not yet seeing is really, uh, as civil society says, responsible people in orange overalls, uh, because that may become the ultimate deterrent. And I guess that's something that uh, everybody needs to think about hard, because whilst prosecutions are under the way and we're underway and we're all being very patient with the with the the, the uh, NPA. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's very early days. Uh, we need something that would allow you know no no cutting of corners, but uh, people have a right to to justice. People have a right to proper due process. People have a right to be presumed innocent. You know, because we're in a rush and because we're angry, we shouldn't short circuit the constitution. But th- but there must be a way to expedite. And again, it become it comes back to a question of the resources that are made available to these, these institutions. They've, they've demonstrated their capability. I think they've demonstrated their integrity now. Now we have to, 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 to give them the, the resources. And I think also, uh, Benjamin, that, that you know, society as a whole, it's not just money, it's personnel often. I mean, I've heard the, ND, you know, the National Director of Public Prosecution sort of appealing for people with the necessary legal, forensic, and other skills to come and work within government, work within the state. Because because even if you have money, <laughs> you need more. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's this bunch of, of, of factors. But the last thing that I would say, though, is, is at a certain point, we have to move from, from prosecution and investigation to prevention. Uh, uh, because we have to get out of this cycle. Absolutely. And I know it can't be done too quickly, but we have to get out of this cycle. And we have to strike a new contract in this country uh, that, that, that establishes a different morality, a morality that recognizes the centrality of equality, of dignity, the necessity of public money, of more public money to lift the livelihoods of the millions and millions of people who even as we speak don't even have a, a meal uh, to look forward to, to, to in the evening. And, and mm-hmm. so I think we yeah. have to, you know, we've been talking short, but we also have to think medium and long and not just think medium and long, but be starting to put in place uh, processes and ideas that take us to, to, to medium and long. And the, the very last thing that I'd say is, so much of this discussion has been on public sector corruption. Uh, I, I think we must not overlook private corruption, mm. Still. Mm. private sector corruption. There, there are, you know, there, there are Marcus Eustace and people still walking uh, free. Mm. Uh, there's grand theft that is going on in parts of business as well. 
and and it becomes a vicious circle where people say, well, if they're doing it, I'm going to do it. If they're sure. doing it, I'm going to do it, etc., etc. Everybody must stop doing it, and everybody must pay a price for for theft of resources. Mm, definitely. Well, let's leave it there because I think um, there's so many elements that we could have touched, but I think we we. we try to look at the current trends that we are starting to see when it comes to this COVID-19 corruption scandals. Thank you to Keza Khanyaho, the Special Investigation Unit spokesperson. Thanks to Mark Haywood, editor at Maverick Citizen and a social justice activist. Last but not least, thanks to the Executive Director of Corruption Watch, David Lewis. We really appreciate you um, lending us your expertise and your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting.